Indigenous childcare agencies have long argued for the need for children in out-of-home care to retain cultural connections and support. Growing up strong in culture is widely recognised as an essential aspect of healthy development for Indigenous children. In-community adoption practices play a key role in cultural traditions in many of the islands of the Torres Strait. At the last election, the Queensland government pledged to formally recognise the tradition under state law during the current term. But with the election looming in October, community representatives are concerned the issue has fallen by the wayside. To discuss this further, I'm joined this evening by Senior Lecturer at the School of Humanities, Languages and Social Sciences at Griffith University, Dr Heron Loban. Dr Loban, welcome to the program. Thank you. Can you just tell us before we get into the issues, where did you grow up? So I was born on Thursday Island in the Torres Strait, locals call it TI, and my family connections are to the Western Islands of the Torres Strait, so Mabiag Island and Boigu Island. And after that, I grew up a little bit in Cairns and then eventually in Brisbane, where I ended up going to university and studying law, as it turned out. And can you tell us about how you decided to go and study at university and then what's led you to do the work and research that you're doing now? Yeah, well, I remember growing up in Brisbane, doing my high school here, and my dad was always very much about, as Torres Strait Islander people, even though we're living away from the community, you know, if we go to university, if we get through high school, we've got an obligation to go back and to give back to our community. And that's, you know, an important part of our culture. So I very much sort of decided at a young age, I think about 12 from memory, that I was going to do law and that I was going to go back to my community. So I go back to TI and to give back to the Torres Strait in some way. And so that was how I ended up at law school. And then in time, I ended up working at ATSIC, which was a really long time ago now, in native title. And then eventually I worked for the state government, which is where I came across the Kupaya Muscare project, as it was then within the state government. And that was about 15 years ago, I think. So that was really my first introduction to what is presently being considered by the current government. For the benefit of the many people who won't know, can you explain the concept of Kupai Amaske and what it entails? Kupai Amaske, the term itself actually was the name of the working group that was formed by the Queensland government uh, many years ago. And it's comprised of sort of two language words, one from the Western language, one from the Eastern language. It relates to the raising or the growing up of children. And it relates to a practice that we have all throughout the Torres Strait, but it does vary in terms of the practice from island to island. But essentially, it relates to the permanent adoption of children. And the way that it works is very different from, as we think about sort of what we might call Western adoptions under our state legislation here in Queensland and other states, in that a family will give a child to what we call a receiving family, and the child is always given to somebody to whom they have a blood relationship. So the bloodline is a very important part of that underlying adoption that occurs. Adoptions can occur for a range of reasons. Of course, these are all embedded within our custom or within our laws, and they relate to 
for example, there might be an infertile couple that may not be able to have children of their own, so they will be given a child. It might relate to the continuation of a bloodline in respect of land and obligations to land. And so a family may be given a boy child, for example, or it might relate to the tightening or the maintaining of bonds between particular families. And so a child might be given for that sort of important part of maintaining that particular relationship. What are the benefits of adoption from within the community? So look, adoption is is really important because as we all know, relationships really sort of are the fabric and of our communities as Indigenous people and particularly in the Torres Strait as well. And so the benefit of adoption is that it provides for a continuation of those relationships, the strengthening, maintaining of those relationships. And of course, it provides for a continuation of our culture as well. So there's important aspects that might relate, for example, obligations to elders and looking after elders, grandparents, obligations in respect of land and the care of land. All of those are part of the importance of the continuation of the adoption practice and provide key benefits to us culturally and for the maintenance of our culture and the relationships between each of us as kin as well. And from the perspective of children who would go through an adoption process, what have you observed in terms of why it's so important for children to be connected with their culture? Well, look, what I've observed is that as Torres Strait Islander people, you know, identity is very important to us and being raised in our identity and in our culture gives us strength as people and it gives us strength as individuals to know where we sit within a family, within a community, within a clan, as we have sort of clans in the Torres Strait. And so that kind of strength that comes through identity is a really important part of our well-being, knowing who we are and knowing where we fit within our families. And adoption and the responsibilities for the care of children all forms part of the strength that we gain as individuals from culture and knowing who we are within our culture and within our sort of cultural frame. From your perspective too, working in this area, why is it important that the government recognise this practice? Look, the reason it's important, I suppose, as you sort of mentioned, I as I've got my own personal stake in the recognition, but also I have been a practising solicitor and then later on an academic and done research. And from all those different viewpoints, I've seen the distress and, you know, the harm and the humiliation that can come to families in the community because of the lack of recognition of the adoptions. And it's because of things like the inability of parents to change the birth certificates so that we're not able to give that important recognition that the biological parents are giving the child to the receiving parents and that the fact that that's not recognised really undermines the importance of that agreement and that adoption for us. I've also seen the challenges of teenagers or young adults trying to get driver's licences or passports and their birth certificate doesn't match the name that they are known by in the community and that they identify with. And so that really creates quite a bit of distress at that point. And then also as a solicitor as well and then doing research, I've seen that when a parent passes away, 
an adopted child doesn't have any rights if that person dies intestate under our succession laws in Queensland. And so, again, it creates a whole lot of distress at a point when families are grieving and really don't need the additional drama that's involved with those legal barriers. And so it really affects not just the parents, but it affects the child as a child, but also as a young adult and then as a more grown adult as well. So the problem is enduring across a person's lifetime. There was an expectation that this would be formally recognised by the Queensland Government. What have been the reasons for the delay and what would you like to see going forward? There most certainly was an expectation. It was very openly announced as part of the election promises, if you like. I personally am not sure of what the delay is. I can imagine that this is a very complex piece of legislation. I was involved as a participant in the consultations and the sort of the legal roundtable and it was apparent to me and others and, of course, the wider community that there is a diversity of practices across the Torres Strait. So the challenge of reflecting that in a Queensland statute is perhaps part of the challenge. So I can imagine that might be something that has taken a little bit longer than was anticipated. But having said that, it is an issue that the government has been aware of for a long time. The courts have been aware of for a long time and have understood the complexities of this. And so because of that, there should be I think, a very strong ability to address those issues and to produce something that hopefully can be introduced in this particular parliament. Finally tonight, and going back to a more personal note, we've been asking our guests on Speaking Out as we've gone through living with the impacts of coronavirus and everyone being locked down. So I was wondering if you could share with us what you've learnt about yourself during these extraordinary times. One of the things that has been wonderful is that because of technology, even though I can't travel to the Torres Strait and even though some of my family have been stuck in different places and Cairns and Brisbane or wherever that might be, we found a way to be creative and to continue our discussions as family and as community. And so I think that's something that has somewhat unexpected in terms of being isolated but at the same time finding opportunities to break that isolation. So I think that's been sort of something that's been quite wonderful to find out that you can find a way around these challenges. Dr. Heron Loban, thank you so much for being with us on Speaking Out tonight and sharing your insights with us. Thank you. Senior Lecturer at the School of Humanities, Languages and Social Sciences at Griffith University, Dr. Heron Loban.